Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, the city of Charleston, South Carolina, is rife with history, so it's no surprise to learn that it has its ghosts. The most legendary ghost in the city is that of Lavinia Fisher, the first female serial killer in American history. Or was she? Find out as we break down the harrowing tale of the six-mile Wayfarer house, as well as a few other hauntings in the Holy City. This is episode number 70 of Hometown Ghost Stories, Haunted Charleston, and the Ghost of the Devil's Bride. White Point Gardens, Charleston, South Carolina, 2018. I was walking with Dad through the White Point Gardens, like we did every morning. Well, almost every morning. We wouldn't go out on rainy days for some reason. I love the rain. But today was sunny and warm, so we were walking through the park. The park is particularly beautiful this morning, with the trees blooming and the branches hanging low over the path shading us from the bright morning sun. I feel extra proud today. Yesterday was my fifth birthday, and I already feel like a grown-up. The people walking in the park seem to notice, too, all smiling at me and saying hello as they pass by. It feels good, honestly. This way, bud, my dad called to me as he turned down a different path. I happily followed along, keeping up with his long, leisurely stride, until he slowed down to talk to a woman I had never seen before. He's adorable. How old is he? I heard her ask. Five, Dad answered. It annoyed me when people talked about me like I wasn't standing right there, but it happened so often that I was used to it. After about a million years of grown-up talk, they said their goodbyes and we headed down the shady path away from all the people. Dad liked this path because nobody else liked it. There was nobody ever on it. It did have kind of a spooky feel to it. It turned, and it twisted between gnarly trees that cast strange shadows across the walk. I didn't think it was spooky. I thought it was great. However, I was a few paces ahead of Dad when I was suddenly struck with an inexplicable feeling of dread. The hair on my neck stood on end, and I audibly shuddered. The temperature felt like it dropped, and the sun seemed to sink away behind the clouds. I saw something move out of the corner of my eye. I snapped my head to the side and spotted a strange man standing by the bushes. There was something off about him. I could sense it. Dad, I called. I really didn't like the look of that man. He wasn't facing us, so I couldn't see his face and couldn't get a good sense if he was bad or not. That's when he turned to face me, almost like he heard my thoughts. Darkness yawned from the gaping sockets where his eyes should have been. His jaw hung slack, as if he had no jaw muscles, and the bone just hung on by the skin of his face. His clothes were tattered, and his skin was gray. Dad! 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 I shouted. He turned, 
What's wrong? He asked. I just kept pointing and shouting, Dad! Dad looked in the direction I was pointing, and then back at me. What do you see? He asked, with a serious look on his face. He couldn't see the horrible man, but I sure saw him. And he seemed to be gliding towards us, like he were standing on one of those moving walkways you see at the airports. Why couldn't Dad see him? I backed up, and suddenly didn't feel so grown up anymore, especially when my bladder let go. Dad still couldn't see the man, but just as he reached us, he disappeared into thin air. I was panting now. Are you okay? Dad asked. I sat down and scratched the back of my ear with my foot. Dad scratched my back and said, It's okay, bud. Who's a good boy? Before tugging my leash and pulling me along back up the path. I still felt cold, and my fur was still standing on end as I peered back over my shoulder to where the horrible man disappeared and caught his shadow dancing back down the path. I'm Dave Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Charleston, South Carolina. The first view of what would become the new colony of Carolina came in March of 1670 at Bulls Island. In 1669, under the leadership of Captain Joseph West, three ships en route to the new land were separated in a severe storm. The unrelenting tempest wrecked the Port Royal and forced the Carolina to land in Bermuda. Only the Albemarle made it to the mainland. In the spring of 1670, 150 English colonists, indentured servants, and slaves sailed into the Charleston Harbor. Additional settlers arrived from Barbados in February of 1671, and by 1680, the city was relocated to its present site, where it became the fifth largest city in North America in just 10 years. The city grew quickly, but wasn't without its hardships. A smallpox outbreak erupted in 1698, followed by an earthquake in February of 1699. The latter caused a fire that destroyed about a third of the town. During the rebuilding period, a yellow fever outbreak killed about 15% of the remaining inhabitants. Charleston suffered between five and eight major yellow fever outbreaks over the first half of the 18th century. The struggles of the late 17th century led to a weak government in the early 18th century, and subsequently, Charleston became a popular destination for pirates. In May of 1718, Charleston was besieged for several days by Blackbeard. He held several hostages and demanded a chest of medicine from the governor for their exchange, which he was granted. Blackbeard and his crew sailed south after that, and Colonel William Rhett set out from Charleston to capture the infamous pirate. He caught up with what he thought was Blackbeard's ship, the Queen Anne's Revenge, but it turned out to be a smaller crew, captained by Blackbeard's abandoned crewmate, Steed Bonnet. Bonnet and Rhett engaged in a six-hour battle in the Cape Fear Inlet. Eventually, the pirates were defeated and Bonnet was captured. He was brought back to Charleston, where he begged for his life and pled his innocence, blaming everything on Blackbeard. The judge dismissed Bonnet's defense and sentenced him to hang. On December 10th, 1718, Bonnet, along with 48 of his shipmates, swung from the Charleston Gallows, where the White Point Gardens now lie. Their ghosts have been seen lurking in the area, 
people have spotted unusual shadows and felt an uneasy presence while in the area where the gallows once stood. Dogs have also been reported to behave strangely while walking by the site where the cannons and statues stand and Steed Bonnet's epitaph is inscribed. Some of the nation's oldest and most beautiful houses still stand in Charleston, and many of them are believed to be haunted by the ghosts of their former residents. The James English House has been around for hundreds of years and stayed in its original family for seven generations. Descendant Elizabeth Lucas, who lived there in the early 90s, claimed some of the original residents still lingered behind. At night, she would hear them walking around on the floors upstairs and stomping up and down the stairs at all hours of the night. She would at times get fed up and call out, Who's there? And the stomping would stop. Sally Weil, someone who has spent a lot of time in the house, claims the unusual happenings in the house swayed her from her skeptical mindset to a full-on believer in the paranormal. The thing about the house that she found the most unusual was when she would walk up to the porch, there would be five rocking chairs lined up, and they'd all be still except for one, which would rock back and forth on its own. That was the chair that Mrs. Lucas would sit in every afternoon to rock. Sally believes that the ghost of Mrs. Lucas continues the daily tradition from beyond the grave. In 1827, a forbidden love brewed between a young sailor named Edgar Perry and a local maiden named Annabel Lee. Edgar was stationed in Charleston at the time, and the two fell madly in love. But as the story goes, her father did not approve of the affair. The disapproval of Annabelle's father wasn't enough to deter the young couple's love, however, and they continued to meet in the most discreet location they could think of, the Unitarian Church graveyard. The macabre atmosphere and the melancholy setting wasn't enough to keep them from meeting up regularly until Perry was eventually dispatched elsewhere. He promised to return to her once his time in the Navy was complete. The two parted ways with the hope of a bright future, but as is often the case, Fate had its own cruel scheme. While Perry was away, Annabelle contracted yellow fever and tragically died young. When the forlorn sailor returned to pay his final respects, her father twisted the knife by keeping her final resting place a secret. He purchased six plots at the Unitarian Church graveyard, the very cemetery where the lovers would secretly meet. He buried Anna in one grave, and had the remaining five dug to a depth of three feet. All of the plots were unmarked. He could never keep Edgar from visiting the cemetery, but he did ensure that Edgar would never determine which was Anna's grave. Heartbroken, Edgar wrote a poem for her titled Annabelle Lee. If you go through the service records of all the soldiers stationed at Fort Moultrie, you'll find that a young man named Edgar A. Perry was there from November 1827 to December 1828 you'll also find that Perry enlisted under a pseudonym. The real name of this love-struck soldier was Edgar Allan Poe. To this day, people claim to feel Anna's presence in the Unitarian Church graveyard, and her ghost remains one of the most famous that haunt the city of Charleston. The Old City Jail Built in 1802, the building was used as a jail until 1939, 
Then it sat vacant for 60 years until 1999, when it was stabilized and is now used for tours. During the years it was active, it housed the likes of Charleston's most evil and ruthless criminals, including bootleggers, thieves, pirates, and serial killers. It even housed America's first known female serial killer, Lavinia Fisher. Born in 1793, not much else is known about her early life due to conflicting historical records. What is known is that Lavinia grew up and married a man named John Fisher, and the pair opened a hotel just outside Charleston called the Six Mile Wayfarer House. Around the same time, men started going missing in the Charleston area. February, 1819, Six Mile Wayfarer Inn. John Peoples rode up to the inn and hitched his horse. His original plan was to head to the Five Mile Inn, but it had very recently burned to the ground, so he stopped at the Six Mile instead. A mile further from Charleston wasn't too big a difference in the grand scheme. He was met at the front door by an attractive dark-haired woman who introduced herself as Lavinia, the innkeeper, and offered him a cup of tea. John, not being a fan of tea, but also not wanting to be rude, accepted, but didn't drink any. Instead, he retired to his room for the evening. He set his tea down on the end table and sat on the chair next to the bed. He hadn't intended on sleeping in the chair, but he was weary from his travels and ended up doing exactly that. He had been asleep for some time when he was abruptly woken by a loud bang in his hotel room. He woke to see the bed disappear into the floor. He sprung to his feet and looked down into the gaping hole on the floor where his bed had stood just moments ago and saw that a trap door had opened and the bed was sitting at the bottom of a pit. Looking up at him was John and Lavinia Fisher, both wielding axes. John didn't waste any time asking questions, opting instead to jump out a window, mount his horse, and ride directly into Charleston to alert the authorities. The sheriff and his deputies rode out and discovered the rooms had all been rigged with trap doors and the remains of several men were found buried below the building. John and Lavinia Fisher were running a highway robbery operation. Lavinia would lure weary travelers in and drug them with tea spiked with oleander. When they passed out in their bed later that night, they would trigger a latch that opened a trap door beneath the bed, dropping their unsuspecting patrons into a pit where they would rob the men and then murder, dismember, and then bury them beneath the inn. The duo was imprisoned in the Charleston Old City Jail, charged and sentenced to hang. They were kept in the same cell, and the conditions were deplorable. Rats and insects infested the building, and there was nothing to insulate them from the intensely cold winter air. John Fisher ended up escaping and leaving Lavinia in prison by herself, but was quickly recaptured. On the day of their execution, John begged his wife to repent, so she'd in turn be spared eternal damnation. He went silently to the gallows, where he prayed with a minister before his death. Lavinia, on the other hand, was defiant in her demeanor. On February 18, 1820, the 27-year-olds wore her wedding dress to the gallows in hopes that the law preventing a married woman from being executed would save her. There was in fact a law that prevented married women from being executed at that time, but the judge, being aware of this, 
ordered John to hang first, since there was no law protecting a widow from execution. She refused to walk to the gallows, having to be carried, all while screaming and cursing. Rather than repenting and praying with the minister to save her soul, she shouted out, If anyone has a message they'd wish to send to hell, give it to me. I'll carry it. She then jumped off the scaffolding herself, rather than strangling at the end of the rope, snapping her neck, dying immediately, robbing the executioner of his duties. Lavinia's ghost is said to haunt the old city jail in her wedding dress. She's been spotted wandering the halls and the stairways. Some have even reported hearing her wails echoing through the stone building late at night. Lavinia isn't the only spirit who haunts this old building, though. The old city jail is largely considered to be the most haunted building in Charleston due to the amount of negative energy accumulated over the 13 decades that the jail was active. The pirates who were imprisoned here were often all chained together, and the clinking of the chains can still be heard echoing from the bottom level, despite there no longer being any shackles still in that area. During the renovation in the late 90s, the carpenters would work during the day and leave for the night. At the end of each day, there would be a thick coat of sawdust on the floor when they locked up and left. When they'd return the following morning, they'd find hundreds of footprints in the dust, all different sizes, all different shaped shoes, boots, and even bare feet. To this day, the people who were imprisoned here during their lives left behind traces of their souls still imprisoned long after their deaths. What's going on, folks, and welcome into Hometown Ghost Stories, episode number 70. We're talking about Charleston, South Carolina today. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and I'm joined by Rob Coakley. Hello, Rob. Charleston is lit. We got pirates. We got Edgar Allan Poe. We have this female serial killer. I was very uh, taken aback by all the things that we are going to be talking about in this particular episode. We have to use, uh, we have Ron Meshbesher in chat, so we have to say alleged serial killer. Because, or at least use air quotes. We're also joined by Dave. What's up, Dave? What's going on? I had an absolute blast researching this one. I just I picked the city out of a hat, basically, because we're trying to cover states that we haven't covered yet. And South Carolina was a state that we actually haven't covered yet. So I'm like, I'll hit Charleston. I've been to Charleston before. And uh, I started looking into it. I'm like, this city kicks ass for ghost stories. It's really good. Yeah. And uh, we do have to, on a, a quick note, we do have to use the word allegedly when we are talking about the serial killer, because that story in the beginning, that's the lore. That is like the legend of of Charleston, that story. And, it, you know, it's one of those stories that blew up. But that's the one you're going to hear when you go on ghost tours. That's, you know, one of the best. It's like the go-to down there. But it's most likely not what happened. So mm. we're going to get into that. There's a big conspiracy theory tied to that story and some alternate possibilities of what went down. Wild stuff. Absolutely. So I, I, don't, by- I don't think she's going to sue us, though. I'm not sure we have to say allegedly. We don't have right. to, but we should. <laughs> she might sue us. 
I do want to start off by thanking everybody that's hanging out in live chat. Uh, Ron Meshpesher actually came in with a $10 donation. So thank you for that. And then Matthew T and Ricardo both making donations before we even got to the discussion part. So usually it throws us off while we're in the middle of a great topic, but uh, but they, they had thrown it out there early. So thank you guys so much for the donations. We appreciate that. And uh, speaking of donations, we have a very special viewer who is in a rough situation. And that is our um, it is a little girl named Kendall. And I spoke with her on the phone today and we had a little FaceTime. She's in the hospital. She has cancer and they're in a big battle, but she's tough and she's going to fight through it. And uh, we set up a, a little GoFundMe link in the description below so you guys can check that out. And um, it'll be on the audio version as well. So if you go to the show notes, you'll see the Patreon link. I mean, not Patreon, um, the GoFundMe link there. So if you guys want to make a donation, that would help a lot. It's a rough situation. And uh, Kendall's a fighter, and she's going to be great. So Yeah, um, definitely. And shout out to Kendall's parents too, Morgan and Jacob, for, you know, just tough situation, obviously, for everyone. But, you know, we appreciate them as listeners and obviously. And, you know, you hate to see a situation like that. Yeah, but Kendall's going to crush it. She's Kendall's already she's already tougher than all three of us, so she's mm -hmm. uh, gonna absolutely crush this situation and pull through. Exactly, for sure. Exactly. Uh, anyways, so um, yeah, thanks to everyone who's hanging out on YouTube, and we also have a few on Facebook. I see Nancy and Adam there, and Meg Casher. What's up, Meg? Appreciate you hanging out, and uh, everybody else is hanging out. We got the Stephanies, we got Ricardo, Matthew T, Epsilon, Al Capone has shown up in chat. Oh, good. So, <laughs> uh, these bingo cards we probably got six people of bingo already with this episode like, know, we got pirates we got serial killers allegedly and allegedly uh, yeah if you guys didn't grab your bingo cards before in discord you're probably kicking yourselves at this point yes <laughs> absolutely cat sure. here says don't talk to my wife i apologize sorry 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 <laughs> and uh yeah so uh charleston south carolina i've been here a few times it is a an awesome city with a lot going on and uh, Dave, we went out there together. I know it was a long time ago. Now it's like oh three, right? It was long ago. I don't even remember why we were down there. To be honest with you, it was uh, we were it was at a wedding. It was actually Tina and John, who are a listener sometimes. They're in the chat. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was why we were down there. Yeah, I do the recall. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, awesome city, lots to do, and apparently with these ghost tours, you can find out a lot about um, ghosts. Ghosts and the stories that Dave just told there. So. Yeah, absolutely. So we kicked it off with some pirate ghosts, which is my personal favorite to talk about. I don't know if you guys noticed. Guys have noticed before. I try and I try and force pirates into any of the locations that I cover. This one obviously was an easy one. You get two heavy hitters, Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet. So I didn't read anything about Blackbeard's ghost haunting this location, but I mean, I guess it's possible. Blackbeard's ghost haunts every location that he's ever been to. I think he's been here. And even like in my living room. Yeah, he's he's probably. been everywhere. He's probably <laughs> shown up in my living room. He even haunts locations that he allegedly never went to. People yeah. say they see his his I believe we covered that in the Port Royal episode, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, he haunts Port Port Royal. But yeah, well it is what it is. His beard was like one of the most legendary black beards, second only to mine, I think. Mm. Yeah, well you gotta you don't put the uh the smoking embers in your beard like he did to intimidate people. You I have to do terrible. that on the next episode now. I expect your beard to be on fire. The whole be smoking. Yep. That would yeah. smell absolutely rank. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I don't think I would do that. <laughs> but his, uh, so Blackbeard's presence in Charleston at the time was pretty interesting. So he, he besieged the city for like, it was like 15 days or something like that. And the only reason he was there was because he was trying to get a chest full of medicine. And rumor has it, the reason that he wanted this, 
medicine was because he had like a serious case of the clap that he was trying to not the same um, yeah. <laughs> I was say, you might want to wait wait till i finish just but, walking uh, around the city with it in a constant state of applause <laughs> yeah but he besieged the entire city for like two weeks just because he was like itchy but um yeah that, that's pretty wild so he was him and uh steve bonnet were they were crewmates Basically, they like co-captained two ships, the, the Revenge and the Queen Anne's Revenge. So when um, the the guy who was pursuing them pursued what he thought like a demon king in here with a hundred bucks. No way. My good Lord. Uh, I'm going to vomit, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, demon king with a hundred dollar donation. That is wild. Thank you, demon king. I don't even know what to say to that one. That's thank you. We'll start with thank you. We start with thank you. Thank you. I we've already sent him everything, right? <laughs> like what else? Send it again. Get? Yeah. Send uh, it again. Send another. Yikes. What are you gonna do? Thank you so much, Stephen King. That is uh that is not necessary, but I very much appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. What I don't remember what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> so that that was successful in derailing everything. <laughs> I know, seriously. Yeah. We didn't even have to besiege a city. If only Blackbeard had. Do you want us to? Demon King, if you want us to besiege a city after that. (laughs) I know, right? We're going to have to. We are yours to command at this point. Yeah, I think that's the going rate to besiege a city, especially in this year. What what year was it? Are we talking with uh, Blackbeard in South Carolina? Like 17, 18. Probably would have he would have besieged it for either a hundred bucks or some chlamydia medicine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, so Colonel William Rett set out to pursue these pirates, and he thought that he was getting Blackbeard and the Queen Anne's Revenge. But during the course of be, between these two events, Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet actually split up. They weren't friends anymore. Blackbeard went his own way. Steed Bonnet was trying to do his own thing, and they ended up. He ended up catching Steed Bonnet and capturing him and bringing him to prison back in South Carolina. So Steed Bonnet was known as the gentleman's pirate, but he's also known as like the cryberry crybaby pirate because his entire time in prison and in court, he just cried and begged for his life, which is, you know, he gets a lot of flack for that in history, but I mean, fair enough, right? (laughs) I would probably be begging for my life too. So I find it hard to to fault the guy for that, but he was in, he ended up being executed, and it's his ghost that allegedly haunts the area that he was hanged in, which now is called what was the name of that park? Well, whatever it was named, that's where he haunts. What are the ghost sightings over there? So they see the shadow figure that uh, lurks in the area. And the thing that I thought was interesting is that apparently dogs freak out in this area too, right around the cannons and the the epitaph that's inscribed for Steed Bonnet. So apparently it's like a dog's freaking out thing and people have weird feelings around there. And then they, they see what they believe is his ghost, but it's like a shadow figure that lurks in that area. So that's where you got the POV ghost dog story in the beginning there. What a twist that was. Is mm. the is the shadow figure a little bitch crying for his life? <laughs> Steed. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you can hear his pathetic subs. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Man up, hang like the rest of us. Hang like the rest of us. Good one. <laughs> but yeah, that's the uh that's the ghost of Steed Bonnet. So if you want to go see him, he is in that park there. 
Interesting. That's awesome. Uh, Andrew P coming through with a $10 donation. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And then Matthew T had said that he would uh, match that donation, but he just gave money to Kendall's GoFundMe. So obviously we very much encourage that. Do that. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you guys can, if you guys want to do that instead, we will not, you know, be upset. Of course. About that. We'll be happy about that for sure. Um, yeah. We actually <laughs> prefer you would. So we're going to actually speak back to Kendall. We're going to have the link for that in the, uh, the actual podcast notes. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can click that if you like. Yeah. So the second location that we hit here was the haunted house with the rocking chairs. It was the James English house. And there's one of these houses that's been around for hundreds of years and it stayed in the family for generation after generation after generation. It was the Lucas family mm -hmm. and all the way up through at least the nineties. And I don't know if it's still the Lucas family that owns it now, but apparently Elizabeth Lucas, who was one of the older descendants, I don't know if she was the original who owned the house, but she was one of the people who lived there back in the 1800s or early 1900s. And she used to just sit on this rocking chair and just rock every afternoon, like clockwork, religiously, she was always out there rocking. And the ghost story that's attached to this one, one of them anyways, is there's five rocking chairs all lined up on the front porch and her rocking chair is the only one that rocks back and forth at that time, that same time that she would be out there. And they'd be like, no, whether it's windy or not, they'd all stand still except for that one, which is That's really crazy. cool. So the, the fact that there are multiple, because if there's just one rocking chair, you'd be like, that's the wind. Yeah. Right. Or an unlevel it, porch, it could be anything. Exactly. But if there's you know several in a row and only one of them is rocking, that absolutely... Um, that absolutely makes me believe that it's legit. That's that's such a cool one. I don't think we've had something like that before. Yeah, it's actually shocking that through 70 episodes, we haven't talked about a haunted rocking chair because I think that's like one of the tropes. And I think rightfully so, because for whatever reason, like watching a rocking chair just randomly start rocking back and forth on its own, like is a terrifying sight. There's just something about it that, for me anyways, like I just find it like extra creepy in terms of things. I think it's, I think it's the sound too. It's like, you get that like little creak as it's going back and forth. Yeah. You've so, seen a bunch of horror movies. We got that at the Oliver house. We didn't see it in person, but the motion detector had gone off across from the rocking chair while yeah. we were downstairs. And I think the footage had showed the rocking chair moving a little bit. So we got okay. a little bit of that at the Oliver house in Middleborough, but the house in Modesto that we covered also had a haunted rocking chair that would rock back and forth. Nice. So. But, um, yeah. but for the amount that we see it in horror movies, you'd think that this would be the staple of every haunted location would be a rocking chair that goes. But yeah, we haven't had it. It's we're not 70, even on the bingo cards. Not even on the bingo cards, but we're 70 episodes in and this is our third haunting rocking chair, apparently. So not as not as common as you think. Right. No, it's a pretty good one. The other thing that happens in this house is the uh, what the owner calls refers to as ghost parties. She says she hears the ghost parties on the third floor and it's just stomping all night long walking back and forth across the floorboards, up and down the stairs. Just, she calls it a ghost party, which I find hilarious because it immediately makes it not scary anymore. If you think about it, it's like, that is scary. You know, you hear all the footsteps on the floor above you and going up and down the stairs when there's nobody home, but then you call it a ghost party. It's not scary anymore. It's just fun. Yeah. Uh, Pops comes in with a comment that actually makes a lot of sense. He says a rocking chair won't creak unless there's something sitting in it. Oh, that's a good point. And that makes sense. Just gave me goosebumps. Like that makes it mm. way more creepy, right? Mm. That's scary. But yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Meg, with the most important question is whether or not I'm wearing a Dixon flannel. And the answer is yes, it is Dixon. Oh, Only I didn't, the best. Even know, didn't even know they sponsored us. 
they yeah, do now. Well, yeah. We can start somewhere, Dave. All right. <laughs> yeah. So those are the two I, smaller. I like that you are just becoming one with your background with that shirt. It looks like you're just ready. I know. Hey, let me change colors real quick. <laughs> just a floating head. <laughs> Took care of it. The most ridiculous way to change the colors of your lights. <laughs> The funny thing is, it's sound activated. So if I just increase the sensitivity, I could like snap and change colors, but then it would just be changing all, all the time. We like mm-hmm. to one color here. So we keep the sensitivity really low, which means the only way to change the colors in my room is to absolutely stomp either on or next to the light. I usually go for next to the light to preserve the light. It's a good play. It is. It's yeah. definitely the play. So the other haunted location was the Unitarian graveyard, the Unitarian church graveyard there. And that is haunted by the ghost of Annabelle Lee who was the lover of the forlorn sailor slash soldier slash poet Edgar Allan Poe. And he actually has a very famous poem about her, Annabelle Lee, which I had read before, which I thought was pretty cool, but I didn't know that was, I didn't know it was attached to a ghost story, which was interesting to learn about when I was researching this. Cause I'm reading the story and it was, you know, Edgar Perry and then surprise it's actually Edgar Allan Poe. I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Cause I, you know, I was familiar with the Annabelle Lee poem. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting and a pretty brutal story. I mean, brutal, like what's wrong? Like her dad was kind of a jerk, right? It's like, why it, would he go to that extreme? <laughs> it's just another instance of spite, like the spite wall back in one of our first episodes. Like, yeah, yeah. Just like an absolute nonsense way of, of just spiting somebody, which is like, but this one's even worse. I know. It, it's like, figure out which grave it is, you dickhead. I know. And that's where it, it kind of got elevated to like ridiculous, right? Because it's if it's just him and his daughter and, you know, he's he's a sailor and, you know, he's only there for a short amount of time. This is, you know, back when this happened, it makes sense that the father might have been like, nah, get away from my daughter. I don't want you around her. That's one thing. But to have, to pull those shenanigans with her grave, right? You, you're paying for six different plots. You bury her in one of them. Now they're all unmarked. You're, now you have your daughter buried in an unmarked grave because you 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 are trying to spite this one dude. It's just crazy. Yeah. This well, the funny thing is, before you even did this story, this is really close to my plan for you after you die, which is <laughs> I plan to buy six unmarked graves for you. The twist is going to be you're not going to be in any. I'm just going to throw you in the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's. <laughs> so yeah, as your family looks for you they're never going to find you because you're you're like somewhere in like you know downtown boston yeah. just hanging out in the sewer. trying to figure out which grave he's in now idiots <laughs> <laughs> well played you're gonna have to outlive me though i don't know if i see that happening i know I might <laughs> <dead> tonight. <laughs> there was another story from the graveyard and um not entirely sure if this is the same graveyard and stop me if I'm going to talk about something that you've already talked about or that you plan to talk about. But there was another story where there was a bunch of children that would look out into this haunted graveyard and they would all, they would all tell each other like, Hey, go out and see if you can find the, see if you can see the ghost, go out and be brave. And uh, one of them, you know, they were basically daring each other and they had dared this one girl, like go out there and prove that you went out there by sticking um, a stick in the ground, right in the, right in like right out in front of one of the graves or whatever. And she had ran out there and it was a stormy night and she stuck the stick in the ground and then she turned to run away. But something 
had her ankle and she could not escape. Next morning, all the kids were like, she never made it back. She must have gotten scared or ran away or something. And apparently she died. And whatever had her ankle, it turns out was basically herself because she hadn't noticed, but she had stuck the stick into her dress and it pinned her to the ground and she couldn't escape. I don't know how she would have died overnight, but maybe it was a snowstorm or something. I didn't hear that one. Yeah, I got to um, look into see. I, I was just sifting through YouTube with the this is one of the stories that, that you'll hear on the ghost tour in yeah. in Charleston. And sounds like a legend to me, but uh, but they say that now, you know, her ghost haunts and you can see her walking around that then they, they have her walking with the walking stick. So her ghost has a walking stick. Kind of an interesting story. That is an interesting story. Yeah, I don't I don't know that one. I didn't catch yeah, I, that one. So yeah. I would just be like, like, how many ways can you like it feels like you would just rip the dress, you would accidentally pull the stick out of the ground. You Yeah, how long do you lay there like some ghost has my ankle before you turn around and go, <laughs> yeah. you stuck a stick in it? I mean, at some point you gotta turn around and look, right? So it sounds more like a legend to me, but if yeah. it's a true story and that person did die, then that's obviously very sad and now her ghost has a walking stick. Amby Rose with a nine dollars and ninety-nine cents in super chat. She says, "Love the podcast, still catching up." Well, thank you, and we apologize for the early episodes. But for those people who haven't gone back and listened to the old episodes recently, on the audio version of the podcast, we actually went back and redid some of the particularly awful ones, <laughs> quality-wise, <laughs> that we had, which was like episode one, three. 10 and i think there was another one in there as well so we're, we're slowly going back and redoing some of the ones that were lower quality i think with the amount of times that we switched hosts and re-uploaded them the quality seemed to like get a little bit more and more compressed and kind of just tough to listen to also i had this issue where i sped read every single episode probably because i listened to all of my podcasts and audiobooks on like a 2x speed so i th- at some point, you think this is just how people talk, and I'm like, yeah. sped right through the whole episode. Anyways, there, uh, there was there was one particular episode. I don't remember which one it was offhand, but you were just like, oh, and then Debbie ran around the corner. She saw a ghost, and then she was really scared, so she walked yeah. outside. And <laughs> I think it was, it might have been the Houghton Mansion episode. This was when, so I think that was my first episode, and we had. Uh, Matthew Thomas says, don't redo the classics. The classics will always be on YouTube. We're not going to redo the video and everything because obviously the time changes when you redo the audio. But um, (laughs) yeah, this one was when we had like, we had a plan. Our plan is like, we're going to do a 13 minute intro story and then we're going to go into the live portion. So I'm like, oh my God, I have like a whole novel written. I got to jam this into 13 minutes. So I sped (laughs) read the whole thing just to get it. Yeah. Anyways, wasn't the play, but yeah. So better quality on the early episodes, but again, uh, Amby, thank you so much for the nine 99 super chat. And we're glad that you're catching up on the episodes and we appreciate that. The banter is still the same though, because obviously we cannot fix that. So you're banter is fine. I also didn't speed read through the banter because you know, to be honest, I mean, everything's, everything's the same except the quality. It's not like you're rewriting them. It's the same. It's all the same content. Yeah, but I but we digress. So we do on to so the title of this episode is "The Devil's Bride: The Ghost That Haunts Charleston, South Carolina," whatever we called it. But it's based on uh, Lavinia Fisher, who was who is known as the first American female serial killer, and most likely erroneously, almost it's actually almost certain that she was not actually a serial killer. That um legend came from a it was a scottish writer who visited the area about 10 years after the case was closed and he was a writer for penny dreadful which was basically like uh 
England's creepy pasta at the time. Yeah. Basically like short stories that they would, um, you know, short fictional horror stories. And he wrote the story of Lavinia Fisher being a serial killer with all those gruesome details. And uh, right. that's where they think that the legend kind of came from. And it kind of just snowballed from there. You know, mm -hmm. big game of telephone. Situation. Well, it wasn't what she was convicted on. So they were convicted no. on, which was weird, but it, it was basically like robbery, right? Yeah. So they were convicted of, so yes, they were convicted. It's, it's weird. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get to this. I have some, I'll, I'll go through the whole thing here, but they, they were ended up being convicted of just assault, simple assault on somebody. And then when they were sentenced, they were sentenced on the charge of highway robbery, which carries a death sentence. So that's where the conspiracy theories conspiracy theories start coming in right. saying if they're convicted of one thing why were they charged with another thing well the thing was, was the whole... weird part was like like the person that they were convicted of the highway robbery on wasn't even the same person that they were originally charged with assaulting it was like a brand new thing sort of so they were uh let me just go through it because i have the, okay, uh, yeah. the timeline of events here so if you put all the information together from the various you know newspaper articles historical records and witness accounts from those from that time you basically get a whole different story from the legend so Lavinia and John did in fact run the six mile Wayfarer house. Uh, it was called, they called them the six mile, five mile, seven mile, et cetera, just so that travelers would know how far from the city they were. That's why it was called that. But um, 1819 was right in the middle of an economic panic, which they called the panic of 1819. And it was due to fallout from the war of 1812. So Charleston exports industry was suffering because of uh, actually an increase in piracy, probably because of lack of jobs. But um, the thing is, highway robberies were a huge problem at that time. So, you know, we talk about how different eras have different, like, murders that are kind of mainstream. Like, Velisca, it was the time of axe murders. The 90s were school shootings, et cetera. Like, for, for whatever reason, like, different styles of murder have, like, their different periods in history. And this period happened to be highway robberies. So in February of 1819, the citizens of Charleston had had enough. So they learned that a band of robbers had set up a base of operations just outside the city. And a group of, a group of vigilantes made their way to the roadside inns, knowing that these bands sometimes ran illegal card games at these inns. So the mob first arrived at the five mile roadside inn, which was owned by William Hayward. And they began threatening the first group of men they found in the lobby. So the men of course resisted. And then the mob gave them 15 minutes to get their shit and get out before they set fire to the building, which they ended up doing, and they burnt that building to the ground. So the mob then continued to the Six Mile House, but John and Lavidia had caught wind beforehand, and they fled. So when the mob arrived, they found the building completely empty. They posted a young man by the name of David Ross to watch the property, and then they headed off to the next inn. So they left this guy by himself. Now, David Ross was the guy that you were just talking about, Jesse, that... Mm -hmm was they originally had charged Lavinia and John of simple assault. So what happened was they waited in the woods. And as soon as the mob left, they came back and they basically just roughed up David Ross. They, uh, Lavinia boxed his head out of a plate glass window and they beat him with sticks and a whip. And then he ended up fleeing and running to town. John Peebles showed up. Peoples, sorry. John Peebles showed up later that day it was like a couple hours after all this went down and the, that was the guy who in the legend he showed up and didn't drink the tea and the, you know, the, the bed with a trap door, all of that, that was the legend. What actually happened was that guy showed up 
a couple hours after this this beatdown of David Ross went down and they assaulted him as well. And he ended up fleeing because they assumed that he was with the mob. A justified beatdown, right? Like, hi, I'm, I was here to burn down your house. For but David Ross, sure yeah. So yeah. David Ross was a justified beatdown. But when when John Peoples came a couple hours after, he was just, allegedly, he was just passing through. He was just a, a traveler that wanted to hang out. But um, they beat him up too. So probably not justified for him. So um, he ended up leaving and reporting the incident to the sheriff. Sheriff came in and nine arrests were made, including John Lavinia and William Hayward and the other members of the Six Mile Gang. So Hayward ended up posting bail and he skipped town. In May, the trial commenced. The Fishers were indicted on charges of simple assault against David Ross. That's it. They were tried, they were convicted of the charges, and they were sent to jail to await their sentencing. Around the same time, Hayward was also arrested again for skipping bail. So uh, John, while they're in jail, John and one of the fellow gang members, Joseph Roberts, they attempted to escape by lowering themselves down from the window of the jail. They like dug a hole underneath it yeah, and they tied blankets together right, like, yeah. uh, like old cartoons used to do. And uh, Joseph went down first successfully, then John followed. But as John was climbing down, the blanket broke. So Lavinia was stuck in there and she couldn't get out. So this is where the part of the story where John gets um, basically coined a coward because he left Lavinia. But hmm. I don't think that he was a coward. He, he, the, he's the, the blanket snapped. So he couldn't like get back into the prison. He couldn't get her out. So instead of fleeing town, they went around and started stealing pieces of jewelry to bribe the guards to let Lavinia out. And they ended up getting arrested and thrown back in jail anyways. So they're back in jail. Sentencing day comes rather than being sentenced for the simple assault charge against David Ross, the crime they were, you know, which was the crime they were actually com- convicted of. They were instead sentenced for highway robbery against John Peebles, a crime that they were not convicted of and against a victim that was not the original victim that the original charges were filed for. So that carries a death sentence. So that makes you scratch your head. Like, why is that? That's weird. So they are now sentenced to death. So Lavinia was certain she was going to be pardoned, like very certain, because it was insanely uncommon for a woman to be executed. And there was actually a law in place that prevented married women from being executed, which is an interesting law. It was in place, whatever. But the judge and this part of this part of the story is so cold (laughs) because the judge who knew that the that that law was in place was like, all right, hang John first. Then she's a widow and there's no there's no law it's gonna that's brutal but i guess so i mean brutal. like the whole town had showed up to her execution and they're all there because it's an execution and they're all going to show up that's your it's just how it was at the time so everyone's there for the execution and they were just like as opposed to how they usually would be which would be cheering on like ah hang them they i guess the crowd was just completely silent and they um yeah she was it started off with her like panicking and freaking out and she was like I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And then it turned to you shouldn't hang a woman. Why would you execute a woman? You're a coward. And I guess the uh, the executioner, like his job was on the line. And he was also like a vicious alcoholic. And they were like, you get a drink after you successfully pull off this execution to which for her, she they did. So she did end up hanging. I, th- I think the most brutal part you had brought up, like, you know, the pardon and everything like that. They had taken out like a letter to, I, I don't know, to read yeah. something. 
and she thought it was the pardon. So he immediately just stopped reading it and put it away. He's like, he's like, just so you know, this isn't a pardon and you're going to die. And she, oh, man. oh man, I can only imagine like for one second she had the hope. And then at that point she had just given up and I guess she had like smiled at one point, but she actually let out a pretty eerie, like last statement. Do you have that handy? Yeah. Whatever she said, because it was, it was a pretty eerie one. And well, so. Well, while you're looking at that, like. Charleston's like the most spiteful town we've covered. We it really we, is. We just talked about that. We talked about like he's like, oh, we'll just hang the husband first. Like they just they're just so spite. I need I probably need to move to Charleston, is where I'm getting at. Yeah. So I have the quote here. And this quote is an actual quote. This is part of the story that was actually did happen. And it's probably the reason the story got so big was because of this one quote alone, because it is so just, it sounds like something a serial killer would say. Yeah, well, she said, if uh, if anyone has a message they wish to send to hell, give it to me. I'll carry it. Like, what a... <laughs> Goosebumps. But um, they did. They, did they, hung, they hanged them both. And Lavinia died instantly. And John did not. It took upwards of 17 minutes for him to die. So he hung there. Mm-hmm. And it was believe that uh, this was... One of the thoughts is that this was done on purpose because they had tied her rope her noose correctly so immediately like her neck snapped she died him yeah he hung for like um what was it like 15 or 18 minutes or something like that so his neck yeah. didn't snap obviously that's kind of how it works and he just kind of hung there for a while exactly back, back in this time they would leave the bodies hanging for like an hour anyways after the hanging but right sometimes more if it's a vicious criminal yeah brutal so the so that theory is I mean, that's that's the story of you know, the actual events that happened according to history. And the theory is that the mobs went out to find these, uh, you know, to, to fight the highway robbery that was a prol- proliferating problem. There's a conspiracy theory. And I like this theory the best because I think it makes the most sense. And the theory is that President Monroe was looking to build naval bases in either Virginia or South Carolina. He was basically going to pick one or the other. The governor of South Carolina, Governor Geddes, wanted very badly for the president to build that base in Charleston to boost the economy, but they needed the land to do it. So the ideal land to build the said base was the land that the five and six mile houses were built on, but the owners were not interested in selling. So the theory is the government invented this whole thing. They sent the gangs out to burn the houses down and they that's where you get the wacky charges where they were you know, at first charged with simple assault and then the sentencing came and it was sentenced to something completely different. And there are some things that support this. So yeah, there was well, a- it's for one, it's completely wacky. Like you, you're sentencing them on a crime that you never actually charged them with. Everything just seemed like it was purposely done. It, it definitely seemed like it was all orchestrated. Right. So this theory is based on all this research was done by a guy named Bruce Orr and all this is in his book, six miles to Charleston. And if you want like a really, really in-depth breakdown, go read the book. But I'll give you a couple cliff notes right now because this is interesting. So in Peoples, John Peoples, in his signed affidavit, now this was the guy who showed up afterward and that was allegedly assaulted by the, the gang. So in his signed affidavit, it was written in at least three different handwriting styles. And his name was spelled differently throughout the document. It was spelled P-E-E-P-L-E-S and P-E-O-P-L-E-S in different at different points. I agree. He, Have you seen the writing of it though? Because in cursive, it could be yeah, it could, a lot like O's and maybe it was just a 
case of bad handwriting. That was the first thing I thought of when I heard that point. Yeah, I thought of that too. But the other thing is, is that he listed all of the gay mem- gang members by first and last name, despite being from Georgia and just passing through. So how would he know all their names? Mm. Weird. Another point, the amendment to David Ross's affidavit. David Ross was the guy that they originally had charged the Fishers with the uh, assault. This note was added after the fact. It said, quote, the the despondent doth believe that James McElroy was one of the above parties concerned in the nefarious transactions above above mentioned. So they added this guy's name after the fact. Weird. Oh, he doth. He doth. Another one. John and Lavinia were arrested February 18th, and they were executed exactly a year later, February 18th, from you know, 19, uh, 1819 to 1820. The exa- and that is the exact amount of time the property would have to sit vacant for the government to legally be able to confiscate the property. So they wasted no time. They, yeah, exactly a year to the date. Maybe it's you know coincidence, but I don't think so. Next point. William Hayward, the guy who owned the Five Mile Inn, was also executed a year after his land was seized. And they had they didn't have the same dates because he skipped bail. So, but it's still exactly a year. His might have been like a couple of days more than a year. Very strange. Nine members of the Six Mile Gang were arrested, but only the property owners were charged with the capital offense of highway robbery. Everybody else got off with just simple assault. They only went after the highway, the uh, the property owners. Mm. One of the jurors was a man. Now, this one's this one I think is the craziest. One of the jurors was a guy named John Wilson. He was the state engineer, and the state engineer's responsibility uh, of that particular office was to provide construction procurement projects, approvals, assistant on state construction projects. Um, And in 1818, one year prior to the arrest of the Fishers, this juror, John Wilson, had made a report about possible land that could be confiscated and used by the government for military use. Oh. And this guy's sitting on the jury. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Another... So we've had a few, Ron Meshbesher knows, we've had a few conspiracy th- theories on this show. We're not a conspiracy show, but a notable one was back in the Velisca episode on us thinking that the serial killer may have moved back to Germany. And I loved that one, but that was probably the weakest of the conspiracy theories that we've brought up here. The other one was the Ron Meshbesher episode, which hundred percent sold on that girl being a serial killer. This one, I might be the most sold on that. This is, they didn't even do a good job of, of covering it up. They didn't hire someone on the jury. Nah, he just was the jury. (laughs) Like it's just, (laughs) it's bad. It's sloppy. It's lazy. It is clear that at this time, you could do stuff like this. You could just kill people that stand in the way, take the property, do whatever, hang anybody for any reason. Highway robbery. Did yeah. other robberies hold a death sentence or did it have to be on a highway? Or was it, is that just the name of a different crime? I think, so I, I don't know. So I know all I know is that highway robbery at that time in Charleston carried a death sentence. Now there were a lot of things about this case that were state law, that there was federal law were different and federal law is supposed to trump state law right mm-hmm. but you know the south before the civil war they were not big fans of the federal government so they were confederate to say so that none of that really mattered um so another another and Dude, i think the I've, last i've never put that together that that's what confederate means <laughs> oh 
know. <laughs> it's, it's been right there in the name the whole time. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. And then the last thing, which I think is also interesting, is that Governor Geddes, the governor of South Carolina, was involved in a similar land grab previously in Florida. <laughs> so it's just all of this stuff all put together is just, I don't know. I think I think the conspiracy theory is, is probably the most likely in this situation. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would not even say most likely. I would just say it's pretty clear. It's yeah. pretty clear. Yep, it is pretty clear. But yeah, if you want a more in-depth breakdown of that ridiculous conspiracy theory, go check out that book that I mentioned earlier. That is not you don't have to. You moment. just read the entire book I just on this read podcast. The whole book <laughs> on this podcast. Yep. You're let's welcome. Check, let's check in on Rob and see what he thinks. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so there is her ghost, which is supposed to haunt where. Her ghost her, so her ghost haunts the prison, but they also say that it haunts the the Unitarian Church graveyard. But that story came from people believing that's where she was buried, and that's actually not where she's buried. So Do probably not, but maybe. Anywhere. We don't make the rules. We the don't. Charleston government makes the rules, and they make it up as they go. <laughs> Just figure it out <laughs> as they go. <laughs> what um so so you said she haunts the the prison. Is is that one that you do you do you yeah, so anywhere? I do. So there's there's theories on why she haunts, but you know, who knows why any ghost haunts, you know, who knows if they even know they're haunting. But the ghost that they see is quote unquote her in her wedding dress. Now the wedding dress thing is debunked for a few different reasons. Number one, her and John Fisher were never officially married. They were married through common law. Lavinia was actually, she was uh they believe she was mixed race and that she was actually a slave owned by John Fisher's uncle. And they believe that John Fisher had fallen in love with Lavinia because they, and then that George, the uncle sold her away because he didn't want, you know, that was a bad look back then. And they found actual documents of this, the slave trade or the slave sale from George to somebody else. And the name of the slave was Lavinia. And back then when slaves were purchased, they took on the name of the person who purchased them. So her name actually would have been Lavinia Fisher. And that's mm. too much of a coincidence. You know what I mean? To say, well, maybe there are two Lavinia Fishers. Probably right. not. So the theory is after George died and John took over the property is he went and either repurchased Lavinia back because he was in love with her or just reacquired her somehow. So that's the theory there. Yeah, they would do the same thing with indentured servants where while right. they were indentured, they would take on the same last name. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's that theory. And the so she, yeah, she was they were never officially married. So there wouldn't have been a wedding dress, number one, because there was no ceremony. And number two, the house burnt down right after they were arrested. So unless she was like, what if well, she hang was on, you can't. About what if she, <laughs> she was wearing, wearing the wedding dress? If she was wearing the wedding typical dress. Typical Thursday night, you know? So the wedding dress thing is debunked. However, when they hanged people back then in Charleston, they hanged them in a white gown. So that could be the ghost, the dress that the ghost is haunting in would be the the executioner's gown, which is I will say the, even creepier. I think the wedding dress is creepier because they're know, just man. hanging people in that gown all the time. That's just what you wore, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, I guess if the ghost is wearing that, then it's creepier than a wedding dress ghost, which mm, we hear about that. I can I can bury you in a wedding dress if you would like, Jesse. Thanks. Uh, maybe wait till I'm dead. But yeah, I mean, if you don't want to try bury it, me in a wedding dress. You'll ruin it when you throw my body into the sewer. <laughs> it's true. 
Cardi G brings up a good point that we could uh, burn down houses for the twenty dollars tier that I believe Rob made those promises. <laughs> he did, yeah. That's a that's an yeah. old school Rob promise. Love it. Team but that said, is... yeah, to up his donation from last week and keep up the awesome work. Appreciate that, man. And thank you again for the one hundred dollar donation, Ricardo. You almost had it. Almost. <laughs> Matthew Dean, Dean Dean King, King, we're looking forward to seeing you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Squatch brings up a really good uh, question, which is, what if the executioner? was the one wearing the wedding dress. <laughs> they, we did say he was a brutal alcoholic and you never know what's going to happen when you mix some uh, some whiskey with some executions. Well, wild. He's just sitting there and he's like, how do I up my last performance at the hangings? I know. This time I'll wear the wedding dress. I just love that they couldn't fire this guy. Like, How many executions did he screw up while trashed where they had had... I, I don't know if they like locked him up in the jail too. And they, like they, they stopped him from drinking. They're like, you don't get a drink until you complete this execution. I don't know if you say complete an execution until you perform this execution without screwing up. It's like, okay, well, why didn't you fire? There's no one else that wants to do this job. I understand it's a grim job, but this guy's just so drunk that he's absolutely, I don't know. Just it, it, like messing up executions in what way? Well, I think that they were like, just because of the optics of the first female being hanged in that in that area. And there are, there are accounts of females being hanged for murder in other places in the country previously. But in South Carolina and Charleston, there, this was unprecedented. So I think that it was more for optics. They were like, please don't botch this. Please make it a clean oh. execution for her. That way it's not. Because they want, because if the government was like covering up a big, you know, conspiracy, they want it to be clean, done, gone. Everyone forgets yeah, about no, it. Forget you know about what I mean? it. No, you're right. I think that's got to be it. And, yeah. and then, okay, so do you think it was on purpose that he botched the guy's uh, execution? That's a, th that's a theory. I don't know why, but that is a theory. Well, they think that they wanted to just have him have a slow, painful death. Mm. Or this guy was just legitimately really bad at his job, nailed it on the first one, or actually, I guess the first one was his execution, right? Yep. Screwed up the first one and got it right on the second one. Mm. Yeah. It's a brutal story. It is a brutal story. But that is the story of Lavinia Fisher, the first and not the first female serial killer in American history. But if you Google the first female serial killer in American history, she comes up because that's the legend. Mm -hmm. She's also on like the short list of women that were executed in the United States. Yep. So she wasn't the first, but she's close to it. I think she's like one of the first five or first 10 or something like that. So. Mm. Obviously, we had talked about was it Bonnet? Not not Bonnet. It was the woman, the woman pirate, the one that saw. Oh forms. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, neither of them were hanged. One of them died in prison. So Anne Bonny was not executed, and then that was the other one that was. Uh, I forget her name. There was she, a female she, pirate. Who yeah, was yeah. Executed. She. Well, no, she was she was sentenced to be executed, but she died in prison before she was able to be executed. Yeah, that was the one where she had like pretended to be pregnant or something. Yep. Okay. Or she actually was pregnant. Papa Squash says, I heard Dave is on the short list. <laughs> I was waiting for it. As soon as you said it, I was waiting for it. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Charleston, so, Charleston's wild. Yeah, it is wild. And I, I read it. I read a pretty good one on on TikTok before, just an unrelated one that was... Did you say you read a good one on TikTok? Yeah. When I was on TikTok, I read a good ghost story to the people. To get oh, ready, get okay. I thought up. you worded it weird. I thought you yeah, that's where you like go to find, go to read. Yeah, I was okay. like, it's like, who, like what the last book I read on TikTok. No, 
Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I do see how that could be kind of weird. I'm gonna tell this one real quick because it's very short and it's very interesting. So the Dock Street Theater started out as a hotel in the 1800s. At the time, it was christened the Planters Hotel, owing to the mass exodus of plantation planters who made their way into the town for the annual horse racing season. I'm going to credit the website that I'm literally reading this off verbatim. So this is uh, Seven Spooky Charleston Ghost Stories on sandlappertours.com. Terrible way to tell a ghost story, but here we are. In sad turn of events, a young woman named Nettie ended up turning to prostitution after numerous failed attempts to make a decent living for herself. On one stormy evening, Nettie adorned in a seductive dress took to the second floor balcony of the hotel to conduct her business as she usually did. Legend has it that as she stood there, a bolt of lightning struck her dead. Today, this Charleston, South Carolina ghost still haunts the theater. Passers-by, taking nighttime strolls through the city, occasionally spot a lady in red with a sad face peering out the second floor window of the theater. That's Crazy. a good ghost story. Yep. Mm. Very creepy. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Brodad brings some science to the uh, situation here. He says, a noose to the side of the neck would snap the neck immediately, a noose to the back of the neck, and they would die from suffocation. Yeah. And you see that. You see that in like cowboy movies and stuff like that. I always notice that like sometimes they have it off to the side and sometimes you see it to the back. So that's interesting. Yikes. I don't like it. Mm. I would prefer neither. Definitely neither. So yeah, that, that'd be the way to go. <laughs> Anything else on uh, Charleston before we get into our formalities here? No. Okay. Well, we have a couple more user submitted ghost stories that we're going to read out today. And once again, um, thanks to thanks thanks again to Demon King, Matthew, and Ricardo, and a couple other donations that we got today. That's that's been huge. And anybody that also donated to Kendall, thank you so much for that. Uh, Ambie Rose also dropped nine ninety nine. Thank you for that. And uh, Andrew P dropped 10 bucks. A bunch of new faces here, and it's awesome. It's awesome to see. We, we thank you guys, and this is kind of what, uh, part of what keeps us going here. So thank you. Absolutely. And, We'd love to see it. Yep. And Andrew P is not a, a new face, but thank He's you. He's not a new same. face, no. But. Speaking of Andrew P, Andrew P is the submitter of both of today's ghost stories. I actually oh, emailed him. look at that. Yeah, I emailed him uh, like an hour before the show I was like, Hey, can I tell these stories on the show? So luckily he got right back to me and said, yeah, so here they are. So, uh, ghost story number one, just after high school, my friends and I were big fans of the popular shows like ghost hunters and ghost adventures. We idolized them as they go into the creepiest of places to look for ghosts. After a while, we began to have similar intentions. We started asking anyone we knew if their place or any places they knew were haunted. It didn't take long for someone to come forward. It was actually a good friend of ours at the time who claimed her house was haunted. Having been there many times and hearing or seeing nothing of the sorts, we were a little skeptical, but we were excited, so we went ahead anyways. We waited for all of her family to be out of the house to avoid any tampering. We shut off all the lights and got started. The only things we brought were our phones, flashlights, and I personally brought a simple tape recorder. For a good two to three hours, we went through her house, doing the typical questions and demanding its presence. It was quiet the whole night, forcing us to quit. After we finished the investigation, we traveled to her basement bedroom to listen to the recorder to see if it captured anything. Complete silence dominated the recordings 
other than our questions and footsteps. As a last ditch effort, one of my friends noticed that on the friend's door, she had Christmas bells hanging. He asked if the spirit could jingle the bells. Only a few seconds went by, but it wasn't the bells that shook. It was the whole door. It shook violently as if somebody was trying desperately to get in. In an unexplained adrenaline, I got off the bed seconds after the shaking stopped and opened the door, but found nothing. Our friend did not sleep in her house that night. That one is very creepy. And that's an, an, a different one. I haven't heard of a door shaking like that. That's, that's pretty good. And yeah, I like the, the angle with the, with the bells, too. You're expecting the bells to jingle, but the whole door starts jingling. Creepy. Jingle doors. That, that was very Christmas very story. Creepy. I actually love that story. That's good. Yeah. I love that. It, and so the bells were on the door, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, can you uh, just give one of those little bells a jingle? It's like, oh, I'm hear me now. Mm. Yeah. And considering it was their first ghost, uh, their first ghost hunt to have the, uh, you know, the the knowledge to make sure everybody else is out of the house to avoid tampering. That's like a veteran move right there. So good job. That is. Yeah. Now we've experienced that on multiple ghost hunts where the room that the whole house is loud and you're like, well, we can rule out all audio recordings because. We yeah, had exactly. Yep. Exactly. So, <laughs> so technically they did jingle. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Actually, it'd be crazy if the door was shaking and the bells weren't jingling. That would be even scarier. But I don't know. I wasn't there. Mm. Ghost story number two from Andrew. The, si- the silence Andrew of P. the bells. When I was a kid, I was good friends with somebody across the street in a cul-de-sac. Even back then, I was very interested in the paranormal, and he somehow told me that his house was haunted. I was scared but excited, hoping to see something. Time went by, and I almost forgot about him telling me his house was haunted until one day... Him and I were watching TV. We were separately on recliners, and to our left was a series of rooms. If you were looking at them straight ahead, you would see the bathroom, and to the left, his room, and to the right, the laundry room. In the corner of our eyes, we noticed a tall, black, see-through figure float, not walk, from the laundry room to his room. We both stared at each other and ran out of the house. It It later turned out that an old man died in the house before moving there, and ended up dying in his bedroom. The family later had someone bless the house, and we never heard or saw anything again. So that is mm-hmm. another creepy one for different reasons. And this one's more of a traditional ghost story that you hear more often is the see through, you know, the shadow figure yep. that lurks in a house and it has the history to back it. So these are two great stories, Andrew. Thank you for sharing them and thanks for letting us share them on the show. And they're both very well written. So kudos to you. Yes, uh, everyone's concerned about Rob. Rob is uh, not not well, but he toughed it out today. And he did. Was here for most of the show. So, just because uh, we don't have him doesn't mean he's gone forever. We'll just share this photo for the rest of the show. All right, sounds good. And, uh, <laughs> how do we how do we get that to be small? Oh well, that's perfect. It's just the me and Rob show. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think that will pretty much do it. I, I can't get Rob not to be huge here, so we're just gonna. We're yeah. just going to talk like this for the rest of the episode. Um, Do you want to read our reviews? patrons? Yeah, right now I have a giant screen of Rob, so I'm actually going to have to get rid of them because I can't find anything. Uh, I don't have our reviews ready, but I do have our patrons ready, which we did get a new patron, I think, today. So she's on the list. Uh, but I will go ahead and read these out. So for our VIPs, we have Jeannie R., Jimmy H., Justin T., Lisa J., Mallory K., Mike B., Mom and Pops W., Robert H., Stephen V., and Demon King. 
who also dropped a hundred dollars in super chat today. Thank you so much, Stephen King. We have Allison V. Is that the new one? No, no. Amber J. That's Amber's the, new, the one. new one. Boom. Thank you so much, Amber. And welcome in. We need to we need like a name for our Patreon people. Patreon. We'll come up with that. Well, oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got you. I got you. Yep. Show sure, do this. They have like clever names. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll open that up to chat. You guys come up, come up. The Church of the Stephanies. The Church of the Stephanies. Yeah. That that's yeah. that's pretty good. That's just chat, though. That's the chat. That's just chat. Yeah, we'll, come up, we'll, we'll come, come up with something. We'll come up with something. Chat, yeah. you guys come up with something while I read this out. We got a list here. So uh, thank you again, Amber J, and welcome in. We have Anna C, even better hometown ghost stories. Garrett, Lily, ID, I, we have. Say it. I've been, I've been thinking about this all. IDGAF batch. I don't give a fuck, bitch. Batch. Uh, we have children watching the show. We have Jay, we have Jake V, we have Janice G, Marfire, Rachel B, Seth W. I am once again on the wrong list, but we're going to go ahead and just keep reading them out anyways. And thank you, Seth. Seth's music in today's show. That was good. Uh, Stephanie A, Sydney B, Al Capone, Anthony T, Ashley M, Brandon W, Brennan B, Captain McSlugs, Cody G, Huggy B, Jan P, Kiralee J, Mark M, Matthew T, Mariah M, Papa Squatch, Sarah R, Sarah, Scotty L, Solar Flare, Soph, and Cooper, thank you guys so much for being a part of Patreon, and we appreciate you. I love how long that list is, but that list is getting long. <laughs> that is a long boy. Yeah, got to do it, though. All right, we got some five-star reviews that I would like to read because we skipped it last week because last week was a long episode. But this week, it was. It's not as long. So let's read out our five-star reviews. If you leave us a review on iTunes, we will read it out loud on the show, live on Tuesdays, to be heard on Wednesdays. If you're a podcast listener, this one is from a Sonnerville entitled incredibly entertaining. We always enjoy a good ghost show, but being able to listen in on a story and discussion while running errands is awesome. The guys are really funny and they always do their research on the location. So you can trust the information is accurate and not just for show. If an actual ghost show is in your future, it would definitely be a must watch. Thank you so much for that review. Love it. Love to hear it. That's the next one. one is from Rachel Ocean, titled Great Podcast. I'm sorry it has taken so long to express how much I love this podcast. I have been listening for a few months, and I listen on my 10-hour work days. Let me tell you, I am cracking up randomly all day. Beyond the hilarity, I thoroughly enjoy the structure of the history and then the lively conversation. I have not found a podcast that I enjoy this much. Thank you for your passion for every topic and for sharing the inside joke of bacon. Can't unhear that one. Hope to support you guys much more in the future. Yeah, the bacon one is uh, the bacon one. It's the it gift that keeps down. on giving. <laughs> yeah. So we have a few suggestions on what we should call people. We have COTS, of course. Uh, Stephanie is a fan of that one. We have the Scoobies, the Homies, Ghost Townies, or Ghost Homies, Hometown Ghost Patrons, Juicy Juicers. That's a good one. <laughs> Ghostly <laughs> Homies, Neighbors. Uh, alleged patron. That's what we should do. It's just the alleged patrons. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually pretty good. <laughs> Home, hometown ghosts, groupies, hometown pirates, mod mm. people. They're they're getting there. They're getting there. Yep, we'll open yep, up. We'll, we'll create a channel in Discord. Papa Squatch, go go create that's a channel idea. in Discord for this, and we'll uh we'll, we'll yeah, get that going. That's probably the play. Yes, two indeed. more. So this one is from uh I don't know how to say it. Gray L thirteen N. I love the stories and back and forth between all three friends titled great podcast thank you for the review 
these reviews seriously they're they're huge for us so if you're thinking about leaving us a review definitely do it and the last mm-hmm. one is from scotland yard 92 titled love this podcast i listen to the podcast as i drive to and from work i just discovered and started watching the live broadcasts and love the setup of it keep up the good work thank you scotland yard i wonder if you're here right now maybe there's no way to know nope but we have one more or is nope. that it i think that's it that's it Okay. Well, I think that will pretty much do it. So thanks to everyone who to, uh, who tuned in. Thanks to everyone who donated. Thanks to everyone who donated uh, to Kendall's GoFundMe. If you haven't already, make sure you do that. You can also donate to the 3000 push-up challenge with uh, Brennan and uh, his daughter. And, you know, we just, uh, you know, these, these are good causes. Oh, look at that. It just popped up. So good. That's, that's in chat there. So, um, you know, anytime you can support a cause like that, that is obviously huge. So absolutely. Uh, for sure. So thanks once again to everyone who tuned in today. A great crowd. Good episode. We'll check on Rob, see if he's still alive. If not, we'll have a hometown Rob stories going forward. And that will uh, pretty much do it. Anything else, Div? I think that's about it. We'll be back on Friday. We'll probably drop a horror movie review Friday because... Because that's what's up next. Because of Rob's state of wellness. I don't know if he's up for creating some side content, so we'll have to see. We'll, we'll keep you posted on... Uh, on Robin, how he does. So uh, thank you guys. And I believe that'll pretty much do. Oh, we could do a wheel spin real quick. Should we do a wheel spin real quick? We'll do a wheel spin real quick. Always down Next. for a wheel spin. I can't imagine and, the people would not want a wheel spin. Of course. Yeah, we still have some hometown ghost stories. Limited edition stickers. So anybody who wants stickers, type stickers in chat real quick. And we'll enter the first 10 names that we get. And who's going to read the, who's going to do the, the auctioneer? The MC. We'll, just, we'll just pull up the uh, picture of Rob and we'll just sit there in silence. <laughs> That'll be the plan. I think that's probably uh, for the, the next right? for the next episode. We have, I believe, we're going back to Tennessee. We're going to cover a prison that was suggested from my buddy Jake. Oh, cool! Worked out. Did we I... hit Tennessee? I don't think we've hit Tennessee yet. Unless we did it re- real recently. I think we did. I don't think so. Unless it was like the last couple of weeks. I don't. I think Tennessee's been on because every time we talk about Tennessee. Rob makes the Stephanie B joke that we're just never going to Tennessee. This is true. This so. is true. It's not Nashville, but not I've, Nashville. I've done limited research on this location so far, so we'll we'll get there though. Mm, it has begun, right. which is which is you, earlier than I usually do. So, uh, what do we got here? Got six so far. So anybody else that wants that, just Who type stickers real quick. On? And it's Matthew T. Ricardo looks like yeah. he's going to stop on Matthew, Matthew T. I today that Rigged. Nashville, Tennessee. That's all right. That's all right. Matthew T. has Western more than Michigan earned it. So thank you guys so much. We'll be back on um, Friday despite, with something, and then being on right above one another. In Tennessee. It stresses we'll me out. I don't understand right. how it works. Mm-hmm. Somebody teach me time zones. Was that in the Patreon pre-show hangout? It that was. We yeah. Had that conversation. It was. Yes. So for $10 and up patrons, you too can be a part of the Patreon pre-show hangout. As little as $3 a month, you get your name on this wonderful list. And you also get other bonuses, ad-free episodes, things like that. And mm. um, we obviously thank everybody that has joined that. So I'm going to spin this wheel. Oh, we got Stephanie last second. Uh, for anyone that hasn't received their stickers, uh, they should be in the mail. Mm. <laughs> the wife was like, I can mail these out for you. I was like, oh, great. Thank you. So I had like three of them ready to go. Handed them to her. Yesterday, I got in her car and they're sitting there on the dashboard. I'm like, God, you didn't do it. <laughs> so they will be they will be uh, arriving shortly if you have one. Um, 
it'll get there. All right, uh, the wheel is now cut off, so anybody who did not make it in time, I apologize. And if you did make it in time, you don't see your name on this list, I apologize. But, you know, we're just kind of throwing things together here. So we're going to give the spin here and see how we do. Let's go. And the wheel is spinning, and it's going. Who will it land on? It's either Matthew T or Ricardo. It looks like it's going to stop on Matthew, Matthew T. Rigged. So rigged. Congrats, Matthew T. That's all right. That's all right. Matthew T has more than earned it, so thank you guys so much. We'll be back on Friday with something, and then on Tuesday with a new episode in Tennessee. We'll see you guys then. Later. Later.